Hello and welcome to the Vorthos cast. I'm Jay and if I could have one MTG wish, I would wish that every Dreddy Planeswalker was legal as a commander. I'm Lorelai Weissel, and if I could have one MTG wish, I'd like to write some short fiction for uh, the website, for, for web fiction, like Uncharted Realms type stuff that doesn't isn't really relevant to the main story. I want to do that. That's those, those are good stories. I like those stories. I'm Brian Dawes, and Eladomri would have a new card, and it would be a Planeswalker because he survived. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Ashley Barrow, and uh, my wish would be that I'm good at magic, but honestly, I don't really care about that. So my wish would be that, I guess similar to Lorelai's, uh, I get to write all my fan fiction, and everyone has to accept it. <laughs> I'm Carrie Thomas, and my MTG wish is that Magic the Gathering portal 14 weeks ago said a few weeks. 14 is not a few. I just want this app. We've actually had an update recently. We, we had the most minor update. Oh, can I change my answer? I changed my answer to I would wish for more dogs. Oh, that's a much better wish. Yeah, that's a good wish. Want dog folk. Yeah, let's get dog folk that don't die. So we have um, technically a lot of news, but not a lot of time. So we're, we're going to go kind of quick. There's there's going to be a lot more to say about our news items in future episodes when we have more time and it's more appropriate to talk about them. But first, uh, to reiterate a thing we sort of announced at the end of last week's episode, the whole podcast will be at Magic Fest Atlanta uh, starting on September 20th, September 20th. And uh, so we'll all be in Atlanta. So if anybody wants to go see us in meat space with our real live fleshy bodies, the inferior ones that have not yet been completed because the superiority of the machine orthodoxy has not touched our physical souls, um, you can head over to Magic Fest Atlanta and like say hi. That would be great. Anyone who's there, say hi because we'll be there. And if you can defeat Jay, then you did his job. <laughs> that is true. Anyone, yes, anyone who gets me to answer a lore thing wrong gets my job, just like the Highlander, because that's definitely how it works. It's definitely not because I've corrected you on things already and I don't have your job, so <laughs> I think this is all a ruse. Anyway, so the more exciting announcement, um, even more exciting than getting to see our faces, is the Finally, finally, the announcement for Archery, which is Throne of Eldraine, which takes place on the new plane of Eldraine, which is a Camelot slash fairy tale world. So it's pulling out of like Grimm's fairy tales. And like uh, if you've watched a lot of the classic Disney princess movies, a lot of those stories are taken from from this era of fairy tale, uh, fairy tale storytelling. So th those things are kind of getting folded into the Arthurian legends and uh, castles and high fantasy and uh so so that's eldraine and we can't really say much about it yet uh there's a lot of really great art for it you can check out on the official magic the gathering twitter account they posted a bunch during their sdcc announcement schedule thing last week um or two weeks ago whenever it was i don't know time shrek world <laughs> shrek world yes um <laughs> hon honestly i hope there's a shrek card that would be great Goldilocks snapped. You cannot have a Shrek card without a donkey card. Donkey was the best character in that movie. I mean, I'm not going to disagree. 
I mean, we're not going to start. We're also not going to start Shrek discourse this early. Welcome to the <laughs> Shrek cast. <laughs> we have plenty of time after Commander 2019 for the Shrek talk. The other, the other big part of Eldraine that was made public is that this is the Kenrith's homeworld, Will and Rowan, that we met last year in Battle Bond. So uh, Rowan is going to be the prominent main character of the story. And speaking of the Throne of Eldraine story, we are getting another magic novel. The Wildered Quest is going to be written, or it's probably already written, based on the timeline, uh, by Kate Elliott, who you might remember wrote the Chronicle of Bolas for Corset 2019 last year, the story about... Bolas and Ugin's legendary mythical origins, which was fantastic. It's still one of the best magic stories I've ever read. And I know that is an opinion that a lot of people share. So uh, this is going to be a new novel telling this set story. It's going to be uh, released as an ebook on September 4th, uh, wherever ebooks are sold. So places like Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Google, and you will find lots of shopping links probably from the mothership. And uh, it's going to be $4 for the ebook and uh, featuring Rowan with her red riding hood up. It's uh, it's very cool. It's very good art. I'm excited because Kate's so great. Um, I don't know why they're only letting her write stories about twins, but um, <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to it. Uh, uh, what's really neat about this is September 4th is five days before previews start. So uh, one of the main complaints about War of the Spark Ravnica was that the novel didn't come out until the set was out and the preview season happened and everyone kind of knew the gist of the story. So this time around, you'll get to read the whole story uh, before previews even start, before you even see any cards from the set. So that's exciting. So you can you can not be spoiled. Um, if the sets don't spoil you, your enjoyment of the story, you can just read it later anyway, and that's cool too. Um, and then our final announcement, as uh, Jay sort of uh, mentioned earlier, is Commander 2019 is going to be out in August. And our super announcement time is we have a preview card. So uh, super, super thanks to Wizard of the Coast for uh, another free preview card for that. So that'll be, uh, we'll, we'll announce the exact date, uh, uh, I don't know, probably sometime this week probably on Twitter. I don't know it off the top of my head and I forget where it's listed. I think it's deep in a Twitter chat somewhere and I'm not going to dig it up. Maybe Jay knows it. We're at seven minutes, so we'll, we'll move on. <laughs> move on. I, I believe it's eight, uh, August 7th. It's sometime in August. There we go. I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to do the schedule thing again, like they did, uh, for core, uh, 2020 on the mothership. So whatever. So anyway, look forward for a free preview card from us. And then, uh, uh that's that's it for news this week and like like i said we will talk about eldraine when the time comes oh uh, there's so much to say about the world so much to say about the novel it's it's very cool and i'm very excited but uh until then let's get on to our feature for the week which is the second part of our summarizing of the weatherlight saga and this is when it gets to be weatherlight saga e so i am going to Go back to the peanut gallery so I can dunk on the terrible people involved in all these stories like Urza and Gerard and Teferi. And, uh, or I guess we don't get to Teferi this week. Teferi will be next week. I'll dunk on Teferi next week. But, uh, yeah, so, uh, take it away, Jay. <laughs> so, we are now going to be talking about the Weatherlight Saga proper. Last time we talked a lot about the stories that took place before the Weatherlight Saga. But many of them actually came out after the initial Tempest Block story. 
So the chronology there is a little bit weird. Uh, we are doing it in chronological order here. If you want to read a really good recap that goes into like the, the printing history and things along those lines, check out Remember the Weatherlight. It's a story summary of the Weatherlight from like 2007 that I still haven't found a better one. It's a seven-part article series. I also have a 30-minute video that I did the script for over at Cool Stuff Inc. if you want to check out uh, a, a more abbreviated version of the Weatherlight Saga. But let's go ahead and get started with the stuff that happens before Tempest from stories like the Dark Horse comics of Gerard's Quest uh, and the Maelstrom and Torrent stories that have first appeared in The Duelist. So we mentioned last time, one of the last things we talked about was Gerard, his whole family was wiped out, and Karn escaped and and basically rescued him and brought him to Jamura, where he was given to be raised by Sidar Kondo, who was a clan leader in northern Jamura. Note that Sidar is a title, the character's name is Kondo. Yes. Uh, the card Sidar Kondo of Jamura represents this character. Kondo's son, Vuel, or Vuel? How do we even say that? It looks like Vuel. Vuel? Vuel. I said Vuel. Yeah, I, yeah, I said Vuel. Vuel. All right, let's do Vuel. Vuel and Gerard were blood brothers, and they were raised together. Well, they're not actually like blood brothers. They're well, brothers. they're called bro blood brothers in the story. Yeah, but that's a confusing term and is dumb. All right, they're stepbrothers. Uh, they, they're blood brothers as in they like shared, shared blood within like a pact. Meanwhile, another orphan named Sisse has inherited the Weatherlight, which is that skyship that Urza built as one of his flagships in the fight against Phyrexia. Sisse has kind of started building a crew. She gets involved in the Mirage War, which is a whole thing with Teferi that we can talk about another time. Uh, but basically, Sisse is a seasoned captain. She has a crew with um, some characters we'll talk about in a second. Back on Jamura, Vuel and Gerard are now adults. Vuel is about to undergo a uh, coming-of-age ritual. And this duplicitous man named Stark messes with the uh, traditional paints that he uses on his body, which poisons Vuel, and Vuel... Uh, isn't able to complete the challenge. Gerard ends up trying to help him, which disqualifies Vuel, and he gets exiled from the clan. So Vuel and Gerard have like this very bad blood at the time. Vuel ends up leading an attack with these right from this rival group on the clan of his father because he can no longer inherit his father's title. Gerard ends up leaving after Vuel steals uh, the legacy which belonged to Gerard. Uh, it was a collection of artifacts and uh, also deactivates Karn. He tricks Karn into killing an innocent person uh, and then uses a piece of the legacy to deactivate him. Horrible, horrible story, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> like actually horrible. Uh, Gerard goes to train with Maltani, who you remember is one of the Marrow sorcerers. He trains with characters named Miri, who is a uh, Leonin, and uh, Raphelos, who is a Yavamayan elf. And they train, they supposedly learn marrow sorcery, but we never see Gerard actually using magic like that, so I don't know what he actually learned. 
But anyway, all three of them end up joining up with Sisse and her crew on the Weatherlight to search for the legacy. Sisse, I mentioned before, was an orphaned woman from Jamora who had inherited the Weatherlight from her parents who died. Uh, she's a war hero in the Mirage War. Tangarth is a minotaur from the Talrum Mountains in Jamora, who is her first mate. Squee is a cabin boy who uh, rescued Sisse from a group of goblins on Teresiere. Uh He is not, his lack of discernible skills uh, means cabin boy, at least at the start, is the only thing he's really good at. There's also an Urborg nobleman named Krovax who joins them. Uh, and then, of course, Miri, Gerard, uh, Raphelos, and then Hannah, who is the daughter of Rain and Baron, who we talked about last time. She is the ship's navigator. And the final crew member is a woman named Orum, who is a Samite healer. So she is a cleric who is basically the, the healer for the party. She's also one of like the most ridiculously competent people on the crew, even though she doesn't really get any spotlight. True story. I appreciated her time with both Crovax's Tale and Wrath and Storm and then everything on Mercadia because she she proves to be the only person who knows anything that's going on. <laughs> so this is all, remember, this is all still pre-Tempest. There is an attack on Crovax's estate and the Weatherlight crew all rush to, to help them. Uh, these wrathy or phyrexian creatures named Gallobraid and morinfen who are both legendary creatures in weatherlight which was the third set of the mirage block uh have attacked the estate uh, they managed to kill rafelos uh selenia who is the guardian angel of krovax's estate is kidnapped uh and brought to wrath with these monsters and in the aftermath the crew just kind of breaks up uh Gerard and Miri go their separate ways. Gerard goes back to Benalia and becomes a master at arms, uh, which is kind of like a, a, a mid-level, like a sergeant position in the Benelish military. But uh, sometime later, Stark engineers the kidnapping of Sisse because his daughter, Takara, is being held hostage on Wrath. Stark, who I mentioned earlier, manipulated Vule. He is from Wrath, which is this Phyrexian-created artificial plane for them to use to as like a staging point to invade Dominaria. So Stark is working to save his daughter by betraying the crew of the Weatherlight. He gets Sisse kidnapped, and that's around when the start of the Tempest story or the novel Wrath and Storm begins. Tangarth goes and convinces Gerard to join the crew as the temporary captain while they rescue Sisse. Uh, Gerard discovers Karn in the ship. They found Karn um, since the... He hasn't seen Karn since his youth and manages to reactivate him. Uh, they recruit Urtai from the Talarian Academy because they need a mage to help operate the uh, planeswalking engines of the Weatherlight to be able to plane shift to Wrath. I haven't read all of Wrath and Storm but I've read the part where Urtai joins the crew, and boy, does that guy suck. He's a dick. Like, all the reasons people think they hate Jace, they actually hate Urtai. And he, they, Urtai was designed that way. And, like, he's... Because they, they came asking for Baron, and Baron's like, no, we'll send Urtai. You think you're hot stuff. And Urtai's like, I know I'm hot stuff. And then... 
well, we'll we'll see how how hot stuff Urtai ends up being. They go to the, in order to get to Wrath, they need a native from Wrath. So they go to rescue Stark, Star, uh, rescue in quotation marks from Maraxis of Keld, who is also working for uh, Phyrexia. Maraxis is defeated by Gerard, and they save Stark, and they believe his old sob story, because it's partly true about saving his daughter. What they don't understand is the, the role he's had to play in betraying them. The crew plane shifts to Wrath, and they're immediately set upon by this giant Phyrexian flagship uh, skyship called the Predator. The Predator is commanded by Greven Ilvek, who is, he's, he was human, but he was modified by Phyrexia to be this much more powerful kind of hulking figure. Something you need to know about Phyrexia at this time is that unless you were a newt grown in Phyrexia, you were not completed. You were not uh, given the full Phyrexia treatment. You were generally just modified to serve them. They had the view that only, like, the completion is this kind of manifest destiny only for Phyrexians. And so everyone else just kind of gets upgraded or modified, but they're not true Phyrexians. So Greven is one of these. It feels like the early Phyrexians from the Thran. From uh, the, the, few, the few images we've seen of those early Phyrexians is kind of the feel that I get from a lot of these uh, wrath-based augmented folks. Uh, that's that's basically it. So uh, he has a second in command named Vadi Ildal. Vadi uh, Greven uh, boards the Weatherlight, and they uh, has he has these uh, goblins called Mogs, which are these big, ugly, hulking brutes of goblins, and they all kidnap Karn. Uh, while Greven is aboard the Weatherlight, Vadi shoots a cannon at the weatherlight in order to hopefully kill Greven and take command of the Predator. Uh, what it really does is knock Gerard overboard, who somehow survives the fall to the forest below, and pisses off Greven. So Greven comes back and he's not happy. Tangarth <laughs> is very angry at this attack and goes to fight Greven, but Greven's Phyrexian modifications make him way stronger than he looks, and Tangarth is also captured. Uh, Greven, for his part, throws Vadi Ildal overboard, and this may be one of the shortest lifespans of any creature printed as a legendary card ever <laughs> in a set. He's literally second command on the Predator, tries to kill his boss, gets thrown overboard, and dies. That's the end of Vadi Ildal. Uh, Gerard falls to the Sky Shroud Forest below, which if that name sounds familiar, it should. It's eventually brought to Dominaria. Uh, and he, along with the crew, end up making an alliance with the Sky Shroud Elves and some of the other people of the plane. The Core, who were human at the time, but have later been retconned to be the actual race core that we see on Zendikar. The Vec and the Dahl. And the leader of the Sky Shroud Elves is Brian. Eldomri! Woo! <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell us about Eldomri? Eladomri is the leader of the elves who, prior to Gerard or Gerard showing up, was believed to be the Corvectal, um, which is the uniter of the peoples of um, Wrath to hopefully overthrow um, the stronghold at, at some point. 
um, once Gerard shows up. Um, the Oracle changes her mind and says that, oh yeah, that to- this is totally Gerard. Yeah, don't worry about it. Um, so Eladomri also has a daughter named Belby. I think Belby is her Phyrexian name. Yeah, yeah that's her, Bel- her Phyrexian name. It's, oh gosh. I believe it's Elia. A-L-I-Y-A. That sounds right, but I'm not 100% sure. But yeah, we'll go with that. Um, There's also the, the warrior Lin Sivy. Yes. Um, Lin Sivy is, is a leader among the rebels of uh, Wrath, and she's working with um, Eladomri. Like, they join forces to um, invade the stronghold, but I, I'm, I don't focus on her all that much. It's unfortunate, <laughs> but, you know. So Eladomri also, also lets the crew know that they've found a way off the plane. Uh, it's this erratic portal that they need a mage to help operate. So Urtai goes to try and figure out the portal for to be ready for their escape. They create a plan where uh, Eladomri leading the core, the Vec, and the Dahl will assault the stronghold while the Weatherlight crew infiltrates basically through this very dangerous back door, uh, through the furnace pits of Wrath and things along those lines. Through Wrath's butt. Yeah, basically. Scalding hot <laughs> molten butt. It's essentially a suicide mission. One thing we should note is that uh, the weather light is damaged at this point. It can't plane shift. Uh, So they're trying to sneak in gently through the back door and then get out through this portal. Although they're not entirely sure where the portal is going to take them. When the assault begins, it's a successful distraction and the crew manages to infiltrate the stronghold. They are beset by traps, which you can see on a lot of cards in the Tempest block. They are also uh, constantly running across shapeshifters, which is kind of the calling card of the Evancar of Wrath, a man named Volrath, which we'll get to in a minute. As they're infiltrating the, um, the stronghold, Gerard discovers a map room with invasion plans for Dominaria. So they learn that Frexia has an invasion of Dominaria that's really imminent. Meanwhile, uh, when they go to rescue Karn and Tangarth, they, they find that Karn has been tortured. He had taken a vow of pacifism when he accidentally killed that man that Vuel tricked him into. And he's basically put in a tumbler and forced to kill all these mogs. With his just his body like he has no choice in the matter because he's just getting flung around this room and his weight is killing all these creatures yeah that is probably the worst part about having a tumbler account is having to step on all the <laughs> so uh tangarth meanwhile has been mutated so before he was this very proud um he was like a brown color for minotaur uh, from Talrum, and when he is mutated, he gets like very patchy, like white and brown. Uh, his horns and his posture change. And basically, what happened is Grevin, having lost Vadi Ildal, decides to take the Weatherlight's uh, first mate. And so he mutates Tangarth, but before he can corrupt Tangarth's mind, uh, Tangarth is freed. So Tangarth is like upgraded by. Up, uh, upgraded is a loose term. By Phyrexia, uh, but manages to retain his mind, and he is pissed at what has been done to him. The crew had split up, and Miri and Krovax end up coming across Selenia, who has also been corrupted by Phyrexia. 
Uh, Miri ends up getting knocked out, and Krovax is forced to kill Selenia uh, in order to save Miri's life. But something happens to him, and some curse descends upon him, which I'll get more to in a second. Elsewhere, Karn has found the Sliver Queen. Yeah, so this is, by the way, the part where the Sliver Queen saves the entire multiverse. Um, so Karn and Karn is there and is trying to recover the pieces of the legacy, and the Sliver Queen's like, no, I'm supposed to guard these. And then Karn is like, look, all the slivers in your hive are part of you. You are symbiotic. You are part of one larger super organism the legacy is the same with me you wouldn't deny yourself your own slivers so you should not deny me the pieces of the legacy and the sliver queen's like damn you're right and basically hands over the pieces of the legacy because karn is able to reason with her and she understands um the sense of connectivity he has with the legacy because he's part of it too and uh Obviously, spoiler alert, the legacy weapon will be extremely important later in the story. And so that's how Sliver Queen saves the multiverse. By defying Frexia. <laughs> so, yeah, the Sliver Queen doesn't really understand what she's been set to guard or why. Uh, so when Karn returns with the pieces of the legacy, there's a piece called the Sky Shaper, which Hannah discovers fits perfectly onto the engines of the Weatherlight, and it boosts the Weatherlight's speed to the point where they'll actually be able to escape from the Predator when they need to. Uh, by the time Gerard and Stark make it and find the real, quote-unquote, real Volrath and Takara, you know, they're alone. Most of the rest of the crew has been split up. Takara seems enthralled by Volrath and blinds her father in the fight. Volrath, meanwhile, I don't know if this is exactly when it's revealed, but we should mention here, Volrath is actually Vuel, the uh, stepbrother of Gerard, whose hatred led him to being recruited by Phyrexia to be the Evancar of Wrath, who is the leader of the Wrathy forces, or the Phyrexian forces on Wrath, and uh, will also be the leader of the Phyrexian invasion onto Dominaria. So you're saying the black kid who had to watch the eugenicist white hero figure do everything better than him got angry and became a villain? Because that's pretty yikes. Yeah, there's some there's some problems with this story in how the the basically all the black characters in the story are handled, and that's a that's a topic I think we need to save. We definitely should talk about it, but it's a topic I think can be saved for if we have time at the end of this episode or in a future episode where we kind of do a meta discussion of the Weatherlight Saga. For what it's worth, Volrath is a very cool villain. I think he's a very awesome character. He is contemplative and becomes a shapeshifter, so that's like goals. Um, and and he's he's enjoyable, and I hope he gets a new card that isn't bad one day. <laughs> this first card wasn't awful it's not good by any means <laughs> so uh gerard kills this volrath but it turns out to be another fake they escape with takara and head back to the ship 
Tangarth returns with the unconscious Miri and wounded Krovax uh, to Orem. Uh, Krovax wakes up and he is turned vampiric. He got a vampiric curse from killing the angel, which it's interesting how across the multiverse, how linked angels and vampires tend to be, uh, like on Innistrad. Tangar, I'm sorry. So Miri wakes up and sees Krovax sneaking away and follows him to find Krovax trying to sabotage the ship. They end up having a fight that spills outside of the ship. Uh, Krovax becoming stronger and stronger as he embraces this vampiric curse. Uh, Gerard returns to the ship and realizes uh, that Miri is trying to buy time for them to get away. And if they wait or they try and jump back and fight Krovax, the crew might not be able to get away. So uh, Gerard leaves Miri behind in order to save the others. Now, to be clear, Miri is kind of like, you got to get out of here. Like, I'll hold him off. It's that kind of thing. It's not that Gerard just abandons her. Although the crew does just abandon another character, which we'll talk about in a second. They don't abandon him. <laughs> to be fair, it's the correct decision. <laughs> the weather light uh, is now much faster than the Predator, who is on their tail, and they speed past it to get through the erratic portal, which Urtai opens for them. Urza appears close to the portal, and uh, just as the Predator seems to be about to pursue them through the portal, Urza shuts it off, and he kind of appears out of nowhere in this story. And Urtai is now stranded uh, on Wrath with no way to escape. And there was much rejoicing. Yay. And the children now. Gerard in one of the follow-up novels, well, upon arrival in Mercadia, asks, why didn't Urtai just jump? Like, they just got a speed boost to the ship. Why didn't he just jump on? Because he's not actually all that. This is the reality, is Urtai really overestimated his, uh, his vertical leap. Um, you know, like, he thought... He could take on MJ one on one, but it's it's not gonna happen. <laughs> That's just unrealistic. Like unless you're LeBron James, you can't say that. So that's the end of Wrath and Storm. We are uh, just so everyone's aware, the artifact cycle stuff we talked about, uh, the Brothers War, Planeswalker, uh, Time Streams, and Bloodlines. All of this would come in between Wrath and Storm and that cliffhanger and the next story, which we're about to talk about, because they switched things up. And instead of following up immediately with what would have been some version of Mercadian Masks, they uh, did Urza's Saga instead as a prequel for a year. So then we go to Mercadian Masks. The weatherlight goes through the uh, erratic portal and lands, crash lands, I should mention, on a plane called Mercadia. Mercadia is kind of like it's one of like the first couple planes outside of Dominaria this the the game really explored besides like Rabia which was based on you know a thousand and one nights and uh, Ulgratha which was originally going to be a Dominarian setting this is kind of like the first definite from the start since Dominaria was a thing new plane and really all it is is a topsy-turvy world? Well, I mean, other than Wrath. It's, oh yeah, that's true. Uh, <laughs> you're, that's fair, they just left Wrath. Um, Mercadia is kind of like uh, 
through the looking glass. It it features like a lot of weird topsy turvy stuff. There's a mountain that the the small end is on the ground and the wide end is up in the air. Um, and the way things work there are very bizarre. The the city's the city's run by smart goblins. Yes, and um, the Chiron, and like the blue factions are all idiots and feral, and they did bad color pie things with flavor. So we should mention here real quick some world building stuff. We mentioned Mercadia last time as the place Difed brought um, the hostages that she saved from Yagmoth. And it is also the place where Ramos brought some survivors from the Silex Blast. Uh, so there's these two different groups of humans that were brought here thousands of years apart. The Thran people, along with their goblin slaves, who have now essentially become the leaders because they were the only ones who knew how to do anything, because these were all very entitled Thran people that got brought here, uh, they are running the mountain city, uh, Mercadia City. And the uh, the people brought here by Ramos kind of live out in the forest in a place called Cho Aram. So the crew disembarks from the ship uh, <laughs> in order to find a way to repair the ship. And then in a very, I guess, Lilliput kind of way, the ship is swept away in a tidal wave, quite literally, so that only Aram and the wounded are left behind on the ship and everyone else is just kind of stranded. <laughs> It is like the weirdest plot thing ever, where it's just like, we disembarked. All right, so how do we split them up to go where we need to go? How about a tidal wave? In case you were hopeful that like any of your favorite named characters were on the ship when it got swept away, it's just like the third-rate ship's crew that nobody knows the name of, and then Orum. <laughs> so we should also mention that like the weatherlight has a crew of some weird indeterminate size at all times basically they just never get named and it's always like a shifting number they always have more red shirts is essentially <laughs> yeah she announces that some of them died um during the crash from the flood so so orem and the uh no-name crew end up in the Cho Aram forest. They meet Cho Man Mano, who basically becomes Aram's lover. Uh, they they very quickly bond. Cho Mano is the leader of the Ramosians, who are the people who are brought here by Ramos. They worship Ramos as a god. Uh, and the Cho Aram, the, the people there, are rebelling against the Mercadians. The only problem is they're basically hippies, so they don't have a whole lot of fighting skill. Uh, Gerard, meanwhile, ends up in Mercadia City, and he cuts a deal for help repairing the Weatherlight to train up their mercenaries uh, and lead them to stop the rebel Cho'aram. So already there's a bit of a tragedy brewing here because the Cho'aram are clearly the good guys, but Gerard and the crew don't know that yet. Gerard uh, and the some of the other crew lead the Mercadian mercenaries to the Cho'aram, and it just becomes this, like, merciless slaughter. Uh, Gerard ends up killing the leader of the mercenaries in order to stop them. And when they return to Mercadia City, Gerard, Karn, and Tangarth are imprisoned. However, Squee gets discovered by the Chiron, which who, who Brian mentioned earlier. And he is elevated to uh, the Goblin Nabob. He becomes, like, the leader of this secret goblin society. 
and has his friends freed. <laughs> it's the first time he's really useful for something. Usually he's just co- uh, comedy relief because he has uh, his, his, I feel like his name exists almost entirely for the pun on Squeeze Toy. He has a piece of the legacy he loves uh, that you can see in uh, his newer artwork too. He's managed to hold on to it called Squeeze Toy, uh, which is a pun on Squeeze Toy. And also part of the legacy. <laughs> it's super important, reason. you guys. Uh, but usually he's just funny and like acting like he knows what's up. And oh, <laughs> all right. So, oh, God. that was brilliant, actually. I love it. That's one of Annie's squeeze toys. Yes, and she is staring at me and fiddling now. So meanwhile, while all that's happening, Orem, Hannah, and Sisse go to search for the mythical bones of Ramos, which they have deduced are power stones that they might be able to use to to repair and power the ship. The crew reunites, and they meet the dragon engine Ramos, who reveals what we talked about last time, that Urza reprogrammed him and had him plane shift over with all of these other, um, all the refugees that become the Cho Aram. By the way, Ramos, also part of the legacy. Isn't it really lucky that they crash-landed onto Mercadia? The bones of Ramos are, at least, which are five different power stones. They're called the bones of Ramos, but they're essentially just five different power stones. The The crew ends up le- helping lead a revolution on uh, on Mercadia, and they defeat the, the Mercadians. Uh, Squee discovers that the Chiron secretly work for Phyrexia and are building warships inside the upside-down mountain of Mercadia City. It's also revealed that the Takara that they saved is actually Volrath in disguise <gasps> and had slit Stark's throat to keep him from revealing the truth and also in, in vengeance for all the bullshit Stark was up to. I don't think Stark was about to reveal the truth anyways. He's... He seemed like a trustworthy and honor-bound fellow. Well, he was blinded, but I like near the end of his life he knows full and well that Volrath is the Takara that they've brought on board. Um, but he also has no power to really say anything without outing himself as, like, a dirty bastard. So <laughs> he just dies. So the crew reclaim the Weatherlight, uh, and they are able to escape from this massive hangar inside the mountain uh, Volrath pursues them in another ship from this new Phyrexian armada, uh, but they manage to destroy the ship. They've upgraded and now have laser cannons, pew pew, like the Predator used on them, uh, and they believe Volrath is dead. Right, because we have skyships with lasers, because magic is a fantasy IP. The, the Weatherlight has been massively upgraded at this time with the pieces of the Legacy, so it is a much faster, more powerful ship. It's been growing this whole time. Its top speed has quadrupled from like the beginning of this adventure. There's a lot of stuff. It's a much stronger ship than it used to be. Why it wasn't just that in the first place the whole time, only Urza knows. Hey, Power Stones are rare, man. So that's how Mercadian Masks ends. Uh... It's kind of a weird story. I like it because Orem gets a lot of a lot of lead time and is is pretty cool. But otherwise, it's just kind of a a a, a weird topsy turvy Alice in Wonderland kind of story, which is 
odd for magic in a world that isn't actually like Alice in or fairy tale or Alice in Wonderland uh, inspired. Maybe magic will visit a fairy tale world one day. Wouldn't that be neat? No, impossible. So then we move on to Nemesis, which is the second book of the masks, uh, the mask cycle. We're going to skip the third book this week because that'll be that's more like an intro to the actual invasion. So in Nemesis, it is around the same time frame as Mercadian Masks, but with all the characters that were left behind on Wrath. Eladomri's daughter, Avila, has been captured and transformed into the Frexian Belby, uh, who is given the task of selecting the new Evancar because Volrath has disappeared. <laughs> hold, hold on for a sec. I just, I just realized that Volrath is the perfect counterpart to Jace because he assumed control of a plane and then left and then people got <laughs> mad that he was gone and tried to fill his role. Yeah, I guess that's true. So uh, Krovex has assumed power. He's having trouble learning to manipulate the flow stone that makes up the artificial plane of wrath. It's the key to their invasion plans. It is when it reshapes to mimic Dominaria perfectly, it allows sections of it to overlay on the plane, and that's how they plan to get all their forces over. Uh, Urtai is captured by Grevin, who, if you remember, the Predator was following Weatherlight closely right near the portal, and then uh, the portal shut down, and Urtai was left behind, and Urza was right there and did not help Urtai or teleport him away or anything. Because Urza's a terrible person. I was about to say that's the best thing Urza's done. Honestly, probably, yeah. <laughs> anyway, uh, because they're in the same place, Grevin spots Urtai and captures him and brings him back to the Wrathy Stronghold. <sighs> Essentially, there's there's a lot of kind of behind-the-scenes machinations that go on in this, in this story. But the gist of it is, Belby starts to remember her old life a little bit. Uh, and becomes much more sympathetic to Urtai, who becomes a little bit Phyrexian corrupted as the story goes on. He's also, Urtai's also better able to control the Flow Stone, so uh, when he helps Krovax, uh, Krovax, uh, who isn't as good at it, uh, needs the boost from Urtai. Uh, Belby has a whole escape plan in place with a portal, Eladomri is planning to uh, charge the stronghold again and kill the Phyrexianized version of his daughter or save her. <laughs> Originally, he doesn't know that it's his daughter. Basically, he it is assumed that after the battle with the Weatherlight and that whole like battle that got the crew of the Weatherlight into the stronghold... There was a power vacuum, and the people in of the Sky Shroud Forest thought it was a perfect time to attack, with Valrath being missing and um, the Phyrexian forces not pushing into the Sky Shroud Forest. So they go to re they go to reengage with the stronghold and possibly try to take it over, and with a surprise attack. But while heading there, like some of his party get. Um, over anxious and start a battle and he goes and um, tries to stop like he basically gets captured trying to save people from a, a massacre because the surprise attack was ruined um, he's captured and um, while he's in prison there he is met by Belby who still is unaware that 
she is Eladomri's daughter. She's the she inhabits the body of Eladomri's daughter, and um, he I forget how that whole interaction went, but basically, um, she took him to the portal. He um, is about to go through it, and he poisons her, killing her, and goes through the portal and finds himself on Dominaria. Or that's skipping to the end, but. But he also finds Takara and Lincibi on the way out. So they all escape, and while that's happening, I believe it happens during the fight that occurs when Volrath returns, right? Yes. Yes. Um, so so Volrath does return to Wrath and is like, Yo, Krovax, why are you sitting in my chair? And so they, they have a fight over it for basically a fight to the death. Whoever wins gets to control Wrath and invade Dominaria. And they both really want to do it. Like, Volrath is a shapeshifter, and he's pretty talented, and he's a decent fighter, but he's kind of tiny and cautious and smart. And Krovax is big and mean and dumb and brutal, and they are they are fighting, and, and Krovax ends up winning the fight um, as Wrath starts to overlay onto Dominaria, and uh, Volrath dies with the last thing he sees is his home again, which is tragic but also what you get for being a bad guy. <laughs> uh, so that's where the story ends. So to recap, the Weatherlight crew, uh, which at this point is Sans, Urtai, and Stark, who is dead, uh, and Krovax, have returned to Dominaria. And Miri. Oh, and Miri. Yeah, Miri's She's also too. dead. Yeah, poor Miri. <laughs> So they uh, they return to Dominaria just in time to find it in the midst of a full-scale Phyrexian invasion. On Wrath, Urtai, who had been left behind, is corrupted by Phyrexia. Krovax has assumed power and is in the Evancar of Wrath. Uh, and Elidomri, Linsivi, and the real Takara have uh, escaped through a portal and are somewhere on Dominaria. And that is where the story ends. Um... The whole Weatherlight saga? Yep, that's it. They canceled it after this. Awkward. <sighs> Thank you. <laughs> Just like the end of Last Man on Earth. Wait, no, sorry. Commodore Gus showed up and there's actually more now. Sorry, guys. God damn it. There didn't need to be. So let's move on to final thoughts. My final thought of the week is... God, I don't know what my final thought of the week is. My final thought of the week is I am uh, excited for Throne of Eldraine. It looks like a very interesting and unique setting. And after a year of being on returned planes, it's it's a breath of fresh air to get this brand new one. My only final thought this week is short and simple. I'm gay, and that's pretty great. <laughs> that it is. My final thought is... I can't wait till next week because this is my favorite part of the Weatherlight Saga. Eladarmy gets to be badass in the invasion novels. Um, yeah, um, my final thought is I didn't really have a whole lot to say today since I uh, didn't do the assigned reading just like in high school. Um, but Annie has something to say. Don't tell him, Annie. I can agree with that. Um, my final thought is come to MF. I can assume that stands for a swear Atlanta and 
meet all of us cast members because we will all be in one place at once and I believe for the most part meeting each other for the first time aside from Jay and Lorelai. Carrie, have we actually met in person? We have not met in person. You do not know how astoundingly short I am. Oh, I know that's <laughs> Three not foot true. nine inch. <laughs> we don't have any physical evidence. It's very possible I might be one of the shortest people in this group. Um, I think you're a little bit shorter than me. None of y'all have seen how short I am yet. I don't know. We'll have a measuring contest in Atlanta. <laughs> that is the least fun thing you could propose for Atlanta. <laughs> Come to our cast meetup for the measuring contest. We will We will likely, at the Magic Fest, we'll be hanging out a lot in the commander area. Uh, and as we get closer, we'll have more solid plans for other things we might be doing. So if if you approve of our ability to continue doing this podcast so we can make guest appearances, even though we're not on a guest list at Magic Events, and you want to help uh, help us keep making the show, you can head over to patreon.com slash Vorthoscast. Everyone who donates on Patreon gets access to our Discord community where Vorthoses around the world are talking about the exciting new happenings in the world of Magic Flavor and other things in our lives and looking at pictures of Annie and uh, doing other cool things. We, we got a great group of people there. Uh, everyone seems very excited about Eldraine, which gets me very excited. This ah, it's so cool. We'll talk about it in due time. Uh, <laughs> just got to wait a little bit longer. So if if you enjoy the show, uh, first of all, thank you for doing that. Uh, we appreciate everyone who listens. And uh, if you want to help support us and keep the show running, just head over to Patreon. And uh, that would be super great. We love everyone who helps keep us going. Thank you all for listening. This has been the Vorthos Cast.